Good evening. Calls for impeachment grow. Fears of Trump's last days reach top military commanders. And the mother of a woman killed in a hate crime speaks out as Governor Cuomo steps back and lets more New Yorkers get the vaccine. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, January 8th, 2021. The chances of President Donald Trump being impeached again rose dramatically today as a thundering chorus of voices are demanding his removal, even as Vice President Pence nixed the possibility he would invoke the 25th Amendment, allowing the removal of a president with the concurrence of his cabinet. But House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, in a letter to House Democrats today, says she'd spoken to the chairperson of the Joint Chiefs of Staff about preventing an unhinged Trump from ordering a nuclear strike in his final days. Pelosi wrote, I spoke to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, to discuss available precautions preventing an unstable president from initiating military hostilities or accessing the launch codes and ordering a nuclear strike. Pelosi called Wednesday's events a horrific assault on our democracy. Impeachment proceedings against Trump Trump, whose last day in office is less than two weeks away, could begin as early as Monday. Reportedly, the charge of incitement of insurrection would be added to the list. Meanwhile, police report at least two explosive devices with timers were found in the Capitol after demonstrators left. And the man who sat in Nancy Pelosi's chair, Richard Barnett of Arkansas, and another person have been arrested by the FBI as several officials, including Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, have handed in their resignations. And world leaders have been condemning the Wednesday attempted coup at the Capitol in Washington. German Chancellor Angela Merkel says Trump shares the blame for the assault on the Capitol. And British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, once a Trump favorite, says he's happy Trump is almost gone. He encouraged people to storm the the Capitol. And insofar as the, the president consistently has cast doubt on the outcome of a free and fair election, I, I believe that that was completely wrong. I think what President Trump has been saying about that has been completely wrong, unreservedly condemn encouraging people to behave in the disgraceful way that they did in the Capitol. And all I can say is I'm very pleased that the president-elect has now been uh, properly confirmed, duly confirmed in office and, uh, and that democracy has prevailed. And as the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Trump, in a video posted to the Internet last night, announced for the first time he would support a peaceful transfer of power to the next administration without naming Joe Biden. The demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol have defiled the seat of American democracy. To those who engaged in the acts of violence and destruction, you do not represent our country. And to those who broke the law, you will pay. My campaign vigorously pursued every legal avenue to contest the election results. My only goal was to ensure the integrity of the vote. In so doing, I was fighting to defend American democracy. A new administration will be inaugurated on January 20th. My focus now turns to ensuring a smooth, orderly, and seamless transition of power. This moment calls for healing and reconciliation. We must revitalize the sacred bonds of love and loyalty that bind us together as one national family. And to all of my wonderful supporters, I know you are disappointed, but I also want you to know that our incredible journey is only just beginning.
Trump also says he'll skip the inauguration, the first time a sitting president hasn't attended his successor's inauguration since Andrew Johnson, who was the also the last president impeached 150 years ago. And a fifth death has been attributed to the riot at the United States Capitol on Wednesday that some are calling an attempted coup. According to U.S. Capitol Police, an officer, Brian Sicknick, was injured while physically engaging with protesters during the Wednesday riot. Sicknick, 42, was struck in the head with a fire extinguisher during the struggle at the Capitol. The family says so far there are a few details released about what happened. Sicknick had returned to his division office after the incident and collapsed. The military has been a favorite pawn of President Trump, who himself famously avoided the military draft by claiming he had bone spurs. He once accused decorated Navy pilot Senator John McCain of being a loser for being shot down and captured during the Vietnam War. He often disparages soldiers for their choice of career. Yet Trump claims to have rebuilt the military with huge spending hikes while using top generals in photo ops, as he did in D.C. last summer, ordering the National Guard to clear peaceful protesters from Lafayette Park before a curfew took effect. A former Marine Major Danny Surgeon says Trump is a glaring example of a longstanding problem, America's imperial presidency. The latest draft of impeachment articles is incitement of insurrection for a sitting president is, is pretty unprecedented. One thing is that when you look at the delayed response, the ineffective security, the selfies being taken with folks, I mean, I can't help but look at that and wonder, my goodness, thank God this was not a particularly well-organized, trained, led group. You start thinking how easy it would have been to hold the Congress hostage, to really damage the building, or it's just absolutely wild what went down. And now there are serious questions about his competence, and there always were. Now he is clearly unhinged, this president, President Trump. And the fact that that hawks like Lindsey Graham, you know, Republicans are, are talking about this stuff and that, you know, now we're, we're not speculating anymore. Millie is bringing brought into the conversation as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs because there is a real danger that there's some sort of military role here. And as you mentioned, the fact is, because there are not enough safeguards, because nuclear war is a hair trigger away, always uh, having this person in charge of the codes uh, is beyond obscene and dangerous. There were times... When Richard Nixon was drinking, he was depressed, he was capable of anything, he scared Henry Kissinger. Can you imagine scaring Henry Kissinger? There was always the possibility that people walked in, stepped into it. One of his national security advisors stepped in and told the generals, don't listen to him if he declares war. But what I've been told is that that was just dumb luck that actually if it was between Alexander Haig and Nixon and it was two days before the end of the presidency, some people might follow orders. I've been very careful not to make too much out of Trump or to make everything about Trump or to make him to be the only beast. But let's keep in mind that we are in a very weird situation because Kissinger is a war criminal and a problematic figure on every level. But I trust Kissinger, I'm sad to say, more to sort of protect the country from an unhinged president than I am Mike Pompeo, an ambitious ideologue who's been on board with every bit of nonsense from the start, if not worse. It raises serious questions about who is around Trump, who has resigned and who has not, and whether anyone would really be able to hold him back. As bad as Nixon is, and of course he has a lot more bodies on his hands than Trump does empirically, I trust Trump's judgment less on a number of levels. And I trust his 
instability of mind and very fearful of narcissistic, uh, vague sociopaths. And there's something really, really wrong with this man, and it worries me a great deal. And I have not been the person who's been yelling that about everything. What do you think of the way the president has been openly manipulating the military, whether it was last summer or two days ago? And what does that say about the weaknesses that we might not have known are in our own system of government? The military has always been more of a political tool than the hype. He has really exposed a lot of the weaknesses in our system. Here's the biggest one. Presidents have too much power in foreign affairs and in military affairs, period. The imperial presidency was dangerous all along. If Trump gives us anything as a silver lining, it ought to be exposing that presidents have too much unilateral power. What do you think should be done or could be done? I'd like to see some sort of bipartisan unity to remove this guy. I'd like to also see him be held accountable for once. Bush, no accountability for crimes. Obama, no accountability for things that he was a part of. Nobody is ever held account after they leave office. Well, I, I think we need to start. They should have done it for the others. This is not just the Trump thing, but it is absolutely time for this guy to leave office and know that there's going to be people held to account because otherwise we'll see another Trump. This is not over. Political commentator and former Marine major Danny Surgeon. Meanwhile, calls for Trump's resignation, impeachment and removal are growing. Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski says Trump should resign, saying, I want him out of here. Nebraska Republican Ben Sass has already said he'd be OK with an impeachment. And at an airport in Washington, Senator Lindsey Graham, who criticized the uh, president last night, he's the senator of South Carolina GOP, was jeered by Trump supporters with chants of traitor as he waited for a plane. You traitor! You traitor! You traitor! You traitor! You traitor! Lindsey Graham, you are a traitor to the country! Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina being jeered by Trump supporters at Reagan National Airport in D.C. earlier today. In New York, no surprise, Mayor Bill de Blasio joined Senator Chuck Schumer in calling for Trump's removal. There's no other solution but impeachment at this point. Vice President Pence has had an opportunity to implement the 25th Amendment. He's chosen not to. History will judge him for that. I spoke to Chuck Schumer about this last night. I thank him for his leadership. He's right. Start impeachment proceedings immediately. Donald Trump is a danger to this country. He needs to be removed. Donald Trump needs to be removed before he pardons every person in sight, everyone who has done everything wrong this country, everyone has committed treason. He can pardon anybody and everybody. That has to be stopped. We also need a full reckoning of what happened at the Capitol. The fact that uh, several key figures are resigning doesn't tell us anything, honestly. Someone gave the order to not provide security. And again, I, you know, you could say, oh, oversight, mistake, incompetence. I don't buy that. This is too obvious that this was going to be a crucial, dangerous moment and there needed to be huge security presence. Someone decided not to do that or some group of people decided not to do that. Who gave the order? Who were the decision makers? Goes a lot farther than the people who have resigned. We need a full investigation of that. We need answers. Mayor de Blasio earlier today. 
It was on August 12, 2017 in Charlottesville, Virginia, at a similar riot organized by some of the same white supremacists who were in Washington on Wednesday. It was there that a car driven by a right-wing sympathizer, James Alex Fields, plowed into a group of protesters, killing 32-year-old Heather Heyer. Her mother, Susan Bro, spoke to WBAI about the painful memories and the need for political action to combat the rise of fascism in America. I got a phone call from her friend who said that he thought she had been hit by that car, and I didn't even know what he was talking about because I had not been watching the news that day had not been paying attention. We only have two hospitals in town and I live quite a bit north of Charlottesville. My best friend was driving the 45 minutes it took us to get to a hospital. I kept calling back and forth between the hospitals to find out where she was. Both of them kept saying, we don't have a patient by that name. Finally, I was able to get in touch with Marissa, who had been with her at the march, I later found out, and Marissa said that she was at the university hospital. By the time I had arrived, of course, she had been dead. We did not know at the time, but later the medical examiner's report showed that her aorta had been ruptured in four places. When you love someone and they die, that hole is there, and it never completely fills in. For most people, for middle-class white America, that's an unusual thing to say that someone in the family is killed in the course of a political crime. A hate crime. Yes. And after this summer, we can't really say that anymore because this kind of car attack has been attempted, I believe, over 60 times over the past summer at Black Lives Matter protests and other protests. You think it's part of an organized attack? While the individual hey, you go and do this. The evidence for that has not come to light. If it exists, there is a great amount of evidence that this was a well-organized, well-planned attack, as I'm sure this week's attack was. This is not an impromptu moment of passion. People showed up in knee pads and helmets and weaponized, just as they did in Charlottesville. And it's many of the same people. This is full-on sedition and a coup. People don't want to hear it. They think it's a joke. It's called sticking your head in the sand. That's exactly how government takeovers happen because good people look the other way and don't want to get involved and don't want to believe that bad things happen in their world. We have to take care of our democracy. We have to take care of our republic. We have to be responsible and informed citizens. And I thank you as journalists for making that happen. Even... People who are happy with the change in administration need to stay on alert. No administration is going to fully implement the changes that need to happen. And how would you like your daughter to be remembered? As an ordinary person who took a moment one morning of her day when she she hated to walk, she hated to be in the heat, and yet there she was on an August day, dressed to go to work that afternoon as a waitress and bartender, and stood up with her friends when she didn't have to. And that's really all she did, was she just stood up to be counted. We know this from our country's history, how important this is, and yet we neglect it because it doesn't apply to us. Well, now it does. It all applies to us. Let's get it together.
Susan Brose, the mother of Heather Heyer, who was killed when a white supremacist drove his car into protesters in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. That's when President Trump said there were very fine people on both sides. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. President-elect Biden appointed his economic team today. Biden announced Governor Gina Raimondo of Rhode Island as his choice to become Commerce Secretary, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh as his candidate for Labor Secretary, and California small business advocate Isabel Guzman as his pick to lead the Small Business Administration. Mayor Walsh described his upbringing in the Boston neighborhood of Dorchester by parents who immigrated from Ireland looking for a better life, a life he says millions more deserve. Today, we're at a crossroads in America. It's a time of great hardship. Working people are holding the country together right now. I've seen it up close as mayor of the city that I love, Boston. Healthcare workers, first responders, grocery store workers, delivery drivers, postal workers, sanitation workers, custodians, coming through for us under impossible conditions. But this, is, this isn't just because of the COVID crisis or the economic crisis that threatens their well-being. Working people have been struggling for a long time under the erosion of their rights and the deep inequalities of race, gender, and class. For the last four years, they've been under assault, attacks on their rights, their livelihoods, and the unions that built the middle class. We are facing hard times, but nobody's tougher than the American worker. And now, now we have the opportunity to put power back in the hands of working people all across this country. Boston Mayor Marty Walsh. Among Biden's cabinet and cabinet-level picks has been a foreign policy team similar in makeup and ideology as former President Obama's foreign policy staff. One of these people is Victoria Nuland, who was appointed for the influential role of Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs. But James Carden, executive editor of the American Committee for East-West Accord, says Nuland, despite the hype, is just another neoconservative. I'll bite in a better package than the neoconservatives who guided Trump's policies. The problem is her record. And the record that she amassed when she was Obama's assistant secretary of state is not a particularly good one because she oversaw U.S. policy in Ukraine during those critical years when Ukraine was undergoing the Maidan revolution, which subsequently turned into a civil war, which destroyed large parts of the eastern part of that country, resulted in over 10,000 deaths and over a million people displaced from their homes. And it was Nuland who oversaw the American policy during those years. So the problem isn't exclusively with Nuland. It's kind of a Washington, D.C. problem where people who oversee enormous policy failures somehow always get promoted to the next big job, right? So it's kind of D.C.'s tradition of failing up. It isn't anything personal against Ms. Newland, who I know is, uh, is very well liked in the department. It's just that if you oversee a massive policy failure like that, there's no reason for you to go on to become the number three in the department. Uh, but Newland's ties to the neoconservative clack that wields so much power in Washington makes her somewhat immune to that. It was a kind of a street uprising in 
the capital of Ukraine due to the fact that their president was seen to be too aligned uh, with Russia. And there was great expectations among certain segments of the population, particularly those who live in the western part of that country, that Ukraine would take the path to join the European Union and then possibly later on NATO. When that president decided not to take that route and instead accept a rather generous trade package from the Russians, the street protests began in November 2013. Those street protests in a matter of months with the encouragement of the United States and our Western partners transformed into a violent revolution which overthrew that president who had agreed to a peaceful transition of power some months later via the ballot box, which is how democracy is supposed to work. The United States and our European partners backed a violent overthrow of a democratically elected government, which we should find objectionable. So this was just one of a number of regime change operations that took place under Obama, but this one was specifically directed by Nguyen and her, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, uh, Jeffrey Piat. Uh, that revolution, as I had mentioned, uh, then uh, set off a civil war and then a nearly a proxy war between Russia and the United States, which is something that we should not find desirable. And uh, that was a grave failure of diplomacy. And that is why I think her nomination to this, this important post is, uh, is, is objectionable. James Carden, executive editor of the American Committee for East-West Accord. And the agony of the coronavirus hasn't missed a beat during the chaos has engulfed the United States government. The U.S. reported more than 4,000 COVID-19 deaths Thursday, the most virus-related deaths in the country that the country has reported in one day since the pandemic start. It's the third day in a row of record daily deaths from the disease. The number of people who have been infected topped more than 21.56 million in the U.S. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's most recent forecast projected there will be between 405,000 and 438,000 deaths by the end of the month. Dr. Tedros Adnan, director of the World Health Organization, decried what he called the vaccine nationalism of developed countries who are ignoring the plight of the poor. At present... 42 countries are rolling out safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines. 36 of these are high-income countries and six are middle-income countries. So there is a clear problem that low and most middle-income countries are not receiving the vaccine yet. This is a problem we can and we must solve together. Rich countries have bought up the majority of the supply of multiple vaccines. We're also seeing both high and middle income countries making additional bilateral deals. This potentially bumps up the price for everyone and means high risk people in the poorest and most marginalized countries don't get the vaccine. Vaccine nationalism hurts us all and is self defeating. Dr. Tedros Adnan, director of the World Health Organization. Meanwhile, in New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo, faced with mounting criticism over the slow pace of the coronavirus vaccine rollout, announced Friday that starting next week, New York would allow a much wider swath of the public to get inoculated, including anyone age 75 or older. The governor warned that initially the supply of vaccines available to people other than healthcare workers and nursing home patients would be very limited. Mayor de Blasio earlier today had asked the governor for permission to add cops to the list of people who can get the shot. 
New York City is not allowed to provide the vaccine to NYPD officers, even though they do provide CPR, they do provide Narcan. They put themselves on the line in very frontline ways to save lives. They're not allowed to be vaccinated. So that just makes no sense whatsoever. The definitions, we put them up on the screen because they're almost identical. And yet we got a specific directive telling us we couldn't do it. And as Mayor de Blasio, leading climate and progressive organizers or organizations are urging mayoral and city council candidates to sign a Green New Deal for New York City pledge. Um, For a New York City pledge, they call it, the organizations will work together to assess and publicize the candidates' stances on the transformative policies needed to slash climate and air pollution and create good jobs and remedy inequality. The pledge comes as the groups accelerate collaborative efforts to transform city, state, and federal policy in the new year. A spokesperson for New Yorkers Communities for Change is Pete Sikora. New York City is incredibly vulnerable to the climate crisis. Hurricane Sandy gave us a terrible foretaste of what that's going to be like. The city is going to um, drown while baking through heat waves and getting hit by repeat extreme weather events if worldwide climate pollution isn't slashed rapidly. So it's a terrible crisis, and at the same time, it's an opportunity to create enormous numbers of good jobs, slashing air pollution and reducing our risks. And what does this specifically ask in this letter, this pledge? New York City has an election. Uh, The primary is in June. And the next mayor and council have a lot of power to implement a Green New Deal. So we want them to use that power to clean up the top source of pollution from New York City. 70% of the climate pollution coming from New York City comes from energy used in buildings. So raising the energy efficiency of wasteful, polluting, dirty buildings creates enormous numbers of jobs in energy efficiency that can employ people in good union jobs. We also want the transportation system cleaned up and fossil fuel infrastructure stopped from being built. That's pipelines and power plants. That's the kind of comprehensive program that the next mayor and council should embrace. Have you got any uh, response yet? I know that a Green New Deal is extraordinarily popular among voters, um, particularly Democratic primary voters. And so candidates should be very interested in signing on to this pledge to support a Green New Deal vision for New York City. Um, But we're not interested in candidates just signing on something that doesn't commit them to specific policies. These are far-reaching policies that are a bold, progressive vision for social justice, economic justice, and racial justice. So we're going to see which candidates embrace that kind of vision and which do not. And I think that they should, and I think it was the right thing to do, and it's also good for them politically. Peter Sikora is spokesperson for New Yorkers Communities for Change. The three major planks of the pledge, backed by specific policy proposals, are creating good jobs by cleaning up wasteful, polluting buildings, ending fossil fuel infrastructure, and clean transportation. And that's some of the news for Friday, January 8th, 2021. The news was produced by Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City for the WBAI News, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Have a great weekend, and thanks for listening.